Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. I'm excited because this is a bit of a, a, an, an opportunity to speak one more thing in this whole series that we've been talking about, Why Church? And as it finished up, I'll be honest, I felt like there was a, a missing piece. And I felt like these metaphors are incredibly beautiful. And if you haven't been here, we, we stepped back and we looked at what the church is. We wanted to have a good sense of what God sees when he looks at the church, his church. We understand that it's not man-made. It's not an organization that God or that man invented. God actually is the one who is building the church. And we looked at four metaphors that, that we are the building of God. We're literally the temple that he inhabits. And we are like living stones, like bricks built together, mortared together, interconnected, interdependent as we walk together. And God is the one who builds us and fashions us for his glory as a monument to how amazing he is. But he went deeper, right? We looked at how we were the bride of Christ and how we were betrothed to our God. And we look forward to a wedding day and we operate together as the bride, not individually, but together as the bride. And God is bringing us one day to the marriage supper of the lamb in heaven. And we have that to look forward to uh, there's a, we also talked about that feast being a family gathering, and it will be because we are also the family of God. Last week we looked at this, that you are actually in a very real sense. This is not, this is not just metaphorical. You are my brother. You are my sister in Christ. Isn't that awesome? This isn't just something that we're using to sort of a, a figure of speech. This is, this is true because God has made it so. And so we are, we are family. We're also the body of Christ. And so Christ is our head and he's moving us all. He's given us gifts, gifts for us to grow, not for show, but definitely to grow, right? So that we're able to, to grow into the body of Christ that, that God wants and serve and, and be able to impact the culture around us. God lets us literally be his hands and his feet. How incredible, right? And there's all one head, there's all one spirit in each of us, and it causes us to walk in this beautiful, graceful unity, just like our bodies move together without even thinking about it. That's the way the spirit desires to move within the body of Christ. And so we've looked at these beautiful metaphors, and they're stunning, right? I mean, it literally, when we see what God has done for us, how he dared to call us his bride, how he dared to invite us who were incredibly unworthy and put that ring of sonship on our finger, invite us in as his, invite us in as his children, and be our father, a loving father, not just a, a, a bigger version of our dad, not just a reflection of our earthly dad, but the perfection of our earthly dad that we can look forward to seeing that, that even disciplines us with love. And it is our painful privilege to be disciplined even by this kind of loveful, loving father. So this, this metaphor that we're looking at of who we are as the church is amazing, isn't it? And I hope that it's sinking into your life. I know it's challenging me, but if there was, a, as I said, I was excited to get to preach because I felt like there was something more to be said. And I sort of titled this, the, the thing here today is not another metaphor. We're going to step back and we're calling this more than a metaphor. And I want to transition from thinking this as just metaphorically speaking, the church is more than just metaphors. This is actual reality. God intends to build his church to function like this. And somehow we look back and we think of how God has moved and we think about the early church and we've sort of come under this, I believe, the lie of the enemy that that was then and this is now and it'll never be that good again. It's just too broken. God won't be working amongst us. Our church will always... And, and honestly, I think we've let the enemy win that battle in our hearts and in our minds. And I'm praying that as we look at this scripture, we're going to be in the book of Acts, if you want to go ahead and find your way there. As we look in the book of Acts and we see the beginning of the early church, I'm praying that as you see this, that the Holy Spirit will speak into your heart and grant you the kind of faith that he granted these people that caused this kind of explosion of, of incredible gospel power. It created a new kingdom culture, a whole different thing that was happening. And to be honest, it changed the world. We mark time by this explosion that happened right here. 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it transformed our world in ways that we can't even really understand without zooming all the way out and looking global to see it all the different ways uh, what, what happened here did. So I want to look at this moment, sort of that initial burst of what God was doing. And I want to see this because if you can imagine... You know, being back then, there was no official, like, church, so to speak. Uh, there were no church conferences. There were no strategy trainings. There were no paperbacks on how to be a healthy church. Nobody had written nine marks yet. They didn't know what to do. You know, Mark Dever wasn't alive, so we were all, you know, all these different kind of things. Like, we didn't, there weren't any of those things going on. But what initiated this was God, okay? And I hope you'll get this theme as we look at this. The church, we're not commissioned to master a series of strategies and all sorts of things. That's not what they were doing. They were impacted and empowered by the Holy Spirit in such a way that it absolutely transformed them. And their very honest, simple, and natural response to the revelation that they received turned into this. There was no manual to master to figure out this. They weren't pretending anything this all just was a natural response i want to look at this though as we dive in so look at acts chapter one if you'll give me the luxury we're going to look at a few different chapters of acts we're going to kind of look quantity zoom out and i want you to see this but i do want to read some of this so in acts chapter one verse one it says this the author is luke he you know he also wrote the gospel of luke and so this transitions right in uh, this combo Luke Acts would be a great read if you're not reading anything. God's word's amazing. You should really check it out. It's a great book. Um, <laughs> so Luke Acts, he writes this. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So the first book is, were you listening? Luke. Very good. Yeah, this is the first book. He says, until the day when he was taken up, Jesus was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, y'all remember those commands? Matthew 28, 19, and 20? It was the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world, preaching the gospel, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Like, that's the Great Commission. So he gave them uh, that command, and he ascends into heaven. It says, he presented himself, verse 3, alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here we go. This is the ascension in verse 6. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They were waiting on the kingdom of God in a very literal sense. But his reply, just like we talked about with the bride, he says, I don't know when I'm coming back. Only the Father knows. Y'all remember that part? This is where he says it. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons uh, that the Father has fixed in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is astonishing, right? Can you imagine being there? It says, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You guys, this was this is incredible. They, this passage that we just read, they actually saw Jesus raised from the dead. And he appeared to them and commanded them to go out with the gospel. They watched him with their own eyes. I know that this, some of, we get into story mode. We, we watch TV. We see movies. We read books. This is not fiction. This is nonfiction. This happened. They're there. Jesus said, you're going to go out and do all of this. And I'm leaving, and I'm going to send you a helper. It's the Holy Spirit. He's going to come upon you in power. I want you to just hang out here in Jerusalem. It's going to actually be better than even if I was here. You know, did y'all catch that? He's like, this is going to be an improvement. You think you're going to miss me, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be like everywhere. So trust me, this is going to be amazing. So he ascends up into heaven. They watch him go up into the clouds. And you, naturally, they're just like, <laughs> stand up there like, just mouths hanging open, and two, two angels appear, right? And they're like, what are you looking for? 
He gave you instructions. Chop, chop, go. You know, and he's like, get out there. Let's do this thing. And so he's like, but I love this. The angel said, and he's coming back. Don't forget that. I love how he sends him away with this whole sense that he's going to return. Can you imagine watching that? And then some, just when you, at that very moment when you're like, I think I just hallucinated. That didn't happen. Two angels appear and double down on it. They're like, no, you saw what you saw. He ascended into heaven and you should go do what he said. Oh, and he's coming back. Don't forget, right? Like they had this moment where it was real. It was real in their heart. What do you do with that information? Do you go back to your normal? How can you pick up? Let's go home. We'll have some dinner. We'll just figure it out. You know, get back to work. Like, no, this changed everything about their lives. I talk about this like an explosion, but this kind of revelation, this revealing of who God is, seeing him in his deity like that, ascend into heaven with the affirmation of angels appearing down, the confirmation that he's coming back, all of these things, that changes something in your heart. You don't go back the way you were. You can't, right? Not if you believe that. You can't believe that and go back to your former way of life. If you believe that, it's going to change how you behave, right? So we saw these people step into this. So if you look in this passage, you'll see, I'm not going to read all of it, but it continues on where they replace Judas and they go through an event there where they try and put him back as Judas was no longer alive after betraying Jesus. And so they replace the 12 Uh, But they wanted to wait. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, they were waiting in Jerusalem for this Holy Spirit that was promised. And this is the scene, okay? In verse 2, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Again, just a quick reminder, this is not, not, uh, this is not fiction. <laughs> this is nonfiction. This actually happened. And they, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They were all there for Pentecost. We don't have time to really get into that. But in verse 6 it says, and at the sound the multitude came together... And they were bewildered. Listen to all these languages. It's because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So it's saying you got people from all over the world that are here. And these guys are talking and everybody understands in their own language. That is a miracle. And you can see why God would do that, right? Because the Holy Spirit's come in power. He's, he's bringing unity. And he's also wanting this message to get spread out. So God grants that they all understand in verse 7, it says, and they were amazed and astonished. Well, naturally, it says, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And for my sake, I'm not going to read all of those towns. Um, <laughs> but, but there's like a dozen different places that they were from. And you look uh, down a little further, it says that, that we're hearing them in our own tongues. The mighty works of God. We're hearing them in our own language. In verse 12, it says, They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Great question. Right? We've heard the truth. We've heard the gospel now. We've seen the power of God. What does this mean? That's a great question to ask after you get in the word of God, right? And I I think we can almost finish this out and say, I think they were asking, What does this mean for the rest of the day today, what does this mean about our lives as we go back to them? What does this mean about our priorities? What does this mean about our future? What does this mean about my bank account? What does this mean about my family? What does this mean about my future and my education choices? What does this mean about everything? Like this, this changes everything. What does this mean? They ask this question. Now, others mock them and they're like, well, these people are crazy. They had some new wine here, okay? And they're looking at it, and Peter, you know, basically stands up at this moment when they're like, what does it mean? He answers them, and he begins to preach. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll read you the address in verse 14. This is Peter standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. 
men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was utterly or uttered through the prophet Joel, and he goes in and he starts dealing with prophecy, and for the sake of all of this, I'm not going to break all this down. Let's skip ahead in verse 22, as he points to uh, basically that God is at work here in this. Verse 22, listen. He says, men of Israel, he's preaching out, okay? Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God planned this. He said, you crucified and killed the Messiah, Jesus. That's bold preaching. So by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He's like, death could not hold him. Are you kidding me? Like, you guys actually, you were, the whole point of the Old Testament was so that you would recognize the Messiah when he got here, and you guys whiffed. You did not see it. In fact, you covered your eyes. You rejected him, and you had the Romans kill him for you, and you crucified the Messiah. But you couldn't finish him off. He raised from the dead. Death couldn't hold him. This is Peter preaching. He's like, you know why he's preaching this? Because he just saw it. Right? He actually believed it happened. So he's like, y'all should know something. Y'all really messed up. You killed the Messiah. But he's not dead anymore. He rose from the dead. You should know. This, what does this mean, right? What does this mean? He's, he's alive. He rose from the dead. Verse 29, it says this. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. He just went to a prophecy that David's son would come to the throne, his descendant, and that descendant is Jesus, which is beautiful. He says, knowing that, that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Look in verse 32. This is cool. He's, Peter's still preaching. He says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We saw it. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. We watched him go up in heaven. Now he's at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He said, Jesus, you tried to kill him, but he rose from the dead, and now he is pouring out his spirit on us. And what you're looking at right now, and the languages that you're hearing, all the stuff that's going on around you that you can't figure out and control and understand, and it's kind of scaring you, and you're trying to figure out, maybe these people are drunk, but they're not. It's actually early in the day. And what you need to know is that this isn't people acting crazy. This is actually God who has showed up in the form of the Holy Spirit, and he's moving in power just like he promised. And you're witnessing the work of God. And so in verse 36, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. You'll get this, for certain. Let them just ponder this thought. Let them, let, them, let them post this on Facebook and consider it. Let them, just, let them just think about it. Let them get excited about singing this song sometimes and then doubt it. No, he says, look, we've seen it with our own eyes. Let everybody know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. He's saying, this Jesus, the Messiah, you need to know this for certain. Because we do, and it's, it changes. We can't go back to the old way. It means a lot. We're not even sure what all it means, but we know this, that we can't go back to our former way of life, and you need to know this for certain, that Jesus was the Messiah, and he is Lord, and he is alive, and <laughs> I've got something to tell you. You crucified him. In verse 37, it says, they, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God granted them faith to believe the message that they were hearing. And their hearts were ripped up. They saw their sin for the first time. And they believed that they were responsible for the death of the Messiah. It cut them. They were like, well, what do we do? You know? The people didn't know what to do. They're like, what do we do with this information? How do we respond to this? How do we put this into action? How do, this means a lot 
So what do we do about it? If we kill the Messiah and we're feeling the, the weight of that, we're responsible for his death, what do we do? And Peter responds in verse 38. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. Praise the Lord, right? And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Isn't that amazing? Peter stands up. They're like, what do we do? We've sinned. What do we do? He said, repent. Turn away from your sin. Reject it. Go in a different direction. Repent. Not only just your behavior. Reject the way that you think and, and begin. Stop depending on yourself and start putting your faith in Jesus Christ to save you for the forgiveness of sin and be baptized and he will forgive you. And not just you, your children and for the whole world. It's spreading like wildfire. We don't even know where this is going to go. It's crazy, but it's going to happen. And we want you to know it's for everybody, but you need to be forgiven. Now, I'm not, I mean, it could have been a whole different message, right? He could have said, well, we've killed the Messiah. Well, what do we do now? We'll wait for the judgment because God is coming for you, right? But he said, no, the whole point of all that was to make a way for you to enter into forgiveness and right relationship with God. You actually are responsible for the death of the Son of God, and God is offering forgiveness to you, and not just you, but your kids. Praise the Lord, right? It's awesome. If you believe that, it changes everything. You can't go back to your normal life after seeing that. After experiencing that, after believing that that is true, it changes how you behave. So look at this. Sometimes when we approach Acts chapter 2, and, and, and especially we want our church to be the best church it can be, we see this. And honestly, when I was beginning to prepare this message, there was a part of me that just wanted to give you a break each one of these words down and turn it into how to, how to establish a great church sermon, right? And it would have been fun to preach. It would have been exciting to be like, okay, this is what they did. Because it gives us some, this is how they responded. And we're going to get to read all these things. And as we read that, it's going to be this moment where I could, I could shift gears and I'd be like, so if we master all of these things and we get all that stuff down, then these things will happen. But that, that sort of misses the real guts of this, right? What we're about to read is not these people who are like, oh, okay, we read a cool book. You know, this, this, uh, this guy with a doctorate said that if we... If we do these six things, that you know, our church will be healthy and amazing. So let's get started, everybody. Try and do all that stuff that you don't naturally do. Fake it till you make it, right? You know, just, just practice it. Discipline yourself to do things you don't like, things you don't actually even believe are true. But just keep making yourself do it, right? And then we'll have an amazing church. Like, trying to do it from the outside in. Are y'all following me with this? But that's not what it says here. The, the Holy Spirit, with the dunamis, that power of God, literally set off an explosive transformation in the heart of his people. And these people just started behaving as if this stuff were true. Like, they dared to just be like, well, we actually think this is true, so we're going to just do it. We're just going to actually do what Jesus said. We're not going to overthink this. We're just going to do it. We're not going to set up classes about it just yet. We'll get there. We're not going to, you know, just talk about it. We're not going to try and just make cool t-shirts. They start working on memes. They just like obey. And, and look what happened. This is what happened. After all of that, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had things, all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
Isn't that beautiful? You know, Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. These people loved him, so they obeyed his commands. And sometimes we think of this backwards. We're like, wow, I don't actually want to obey God's commands. I don't actually love God. But it says, if, if you love God, you'll obey his commands. So I'm going to start obeying, you know, even though I don't actually love God. Maybe he'll think I love him if I obey him. Right? That's not what he's saying in that passage. He's not saying obey him doing all the stuff you don't want to do because you don't actually love God. No, this is not a, a challenge for you to step up your obedience. Jesus is simply saying this. If you actually love me, you're, you're going to obey me. You know? I mean, it's obvious. It's going to happen. If you believe all this, you know this stuff is true, and you love me, you believe I'm the Lord, you believe I ascended into heaven and rose from the dead, I'm at the right hand of God, that I'm offering forgiveness to you and your children and the whole world, and that this is amazing truth that needs to be known, and you understand that I bring healing and hope and restoration in every part of your life. If you love me, like I, you're just going to obey me. It's going to come naturally out of your life. I know. Now, and as we apply this to our life, I don't want to oversimplify this. It doesn't mean we never deal with temptation. It doesn't mean that we never face challenges. It doesn't mean that we don't fail. But the trajectory of your life is one of obedience, right? There's a regret when we sin because we love our God, not because we saw in the handbook we're not supposed to do that. It's deeper. It's more powerful than that. But we teach our kids that because they need to know those and build those habits. But our prayer is not that they just become masters of the law. Our prayer is that they one day fall in love with the master that fulfilled the law who can give them hope and forgiveness and restoration in their own lives and lead them into a life full of joy. That's why we do that. Are you with me? So if you love God, I'm not going to have to like beg you to obey. You're just going to do it. And that's what happened. Like it's, it's what happened here. They knew for certain these things were true, and they couldn't figure it out. Like, let's break down what they, they did. They responded. I mean, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? Well, yeah, because they wanted to know more. And their hearts burned when they got answers. They were finally understanding what was going on, and they were beginning to see, oh, well, when we go out and we start telling people stuff, we want to make sure we tell them the right thing. Apostles, keep teaching us. Give us more insight that we can say what's true the way that we understood it. They were excited about digging into the teaching because they had a mission and they wanted to understand the heart of God. They wanted to know him. It wasn't because they all were like, well, let's all be academics. Like that, it wasn't that, that wasn't the motivation here. They'd just seen the resurrection. They wanted to know God because he's amazing. Like it, nobody had to be like, well, you won't get credit if you don't stay. Like it, they didn't need their small group leader to be like, did you read? Like, they wanted this because they loved him. They saw it. They knew it was true. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Well, yeah. I mean, these are the only people that get me. <laughs> right? Everywhere else I go, they think I'm nuts because I'm acting like I believe something's true and they don't understand it. Like, why? Their lives are so inexplicable. If you don't have their worldview, if you haven't seen what they've seen, when you look at their lives, oh, this makes no sense. They're like selling their stuff so that this guy over here can, like, why? Like, that's crazy. Don't you know that one day you're going to retire and what are you going to do? Like, you can't sell your, like, this is ridiculous. You're just being irresponsible. And they're like, I'm not worried about it because the guy over there says my stuff's his stuff and his stuff's my stuff. And I'm not going to starve because he's taking care of me. And by the way, Jesus is coming back, right? This is not the world. This is not the main event. We're just kind of like, we're, I mean, this is important. I don't want to lessen that. I don't want to get into that error because this is incredible what's happening here. But they're understanding there's something even bigger that's going on. I don't have to suck every little bit of goodness out of this life and control everything and make everything bend to my will and get every little pleasure I can find. So afraid we're going to miss out on something here. Look, you're going to laugh when you get into heaven in the presence of God. And you'll be like, wow, I worked so hard to get this little morsel of joy over here in my life. I was so worried I was going to miss out on some happiness. What was I thinking? You're in heaven. You're going to be overwhelmed by a different kind of joy. Some of y'all are experiencing that kind of joy even right now. In fact, some of y'all feel it in your heart, right? Even right now as I'm talking, you're like, man, this is, this is good. I, I know I'm one of his kids and I'm going to be there. And this is so awesome because this life is a little bit crazy. It's not actually working out the way I planned for it to. How comforting is it, right? When you step back and say, this isn't all there is, that there is heaven for us. It changes how you live, right? It means you don't quit in retirement, right? 
devoted to the fellowship. They don't just say, well, let's go and, you know, just chill. We'll just chill for the last 20 years of our lives. Like, no, they're like, we're going to heaven. We're going to hit it running. We're going to be, I mean, if we can't run, we're going to pray. We're going to do whatever we can do. I mean, I love that about this church. Man, some are, it's awesome. I'm, I'm getting too excited about some of this. <laughs> it's easy to do, right? Like, it's, I'm sure I could put almost any of you up here and y'all could go and just preach this part because it's so true, right? If you believe these things are true, it just changes everything. It's not complicated. You don't have to have a degree to understand what's happening here, right? Like, this isn't something you have to exegete the passage and see what's going Like, it just says it. Hey, they believed it was true and bam, they just started obeying it and it changed how they live. It says they devoted themselves to teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. I mean, they wanted to be together and fellowship with one another. They wanted that. They looked for excuses to get together. They didn't have to have us call and be like, hey, so we got this thing. Really, really would love for you to turn off Netflix and come. Like, if you could just, if you could just make it, if you can get away from your laptop for just a second, you'd come hang out with us. Man, it would mean the world to us. Like, I'm, being, I'm taking a few little, little shots here, but I don't mean to. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying, like, I'm talking to myself. I know my own heart, right? They didn't have to beg each other to get together. They wanted to be together because they were excited about that. They wanted to come and eat together and experience joy. By the way, some of you guys don't get to break bread with one another, and that's what small groups is a, a picture of what's happening here. So if you're not a part of a small group, we want to get you in one where you can experience this kind of, of real joy. So um, we don't have enough of them, but we're working at it as fast as we can. And so if you're not in one and there's some that are too big, like we'll, we will do cartwheels and whatever we have to do to, to make it work for now. Uh, in short, we're praying that God will raise up more and more leaders to take this role to facilitate this kind of thing happening. We're not looking for people that have a degree and every single answer. We're looking for some people who have the maturity to read what the Bible says and the willingness to do what it says. That's what real maturity in Christ is, okay? Half these people couldn't even read, but they were following Jesus. It's incredible. I don't want to, I don't want to, take any of the, the, the emphasis on the pursuit of knowledge and understanding the study of God's word, but we do want to say the, under, the, the motivation behind that is not academic. It's love. It's because we're amazed at our God. That's why we pursue him for study. So don't let me slow any of you down. If God's given you the gift of teaching and you love to get in and fight with scriptures, please keep doing that for the benefit of the church. Exercise your gift with, with passion and study hard and study well and be able to give that back to the church uh, in a beautiful way. But don't hide in the academics. We can't do that. Uh, make sure we relate to our God. But he said into pray, prayers. They actually believed that prayer worked. Can you imagine? Let me just break this down. This is a group of people that saw Jesus walk, talk. They ate with him. They hang out with him. Some of these people have been healed by Jesus. There's probably a blind guy in here who Jesus personally walked up to him and gave him back his sight, and he's hanging with the brothers and sisters in Christ, and he's in the middle of all this, right? And everybody knows this story already. But this guy who was blind with his eyes watched Jesus ascend up into heaven, and everything's changed about him. And he's got a few friends that Jesus personally healed, and a few that had a demon cast out of them, and Jesus is like, just, just pray. You can pray. And I'll be interceding for you in heaven. Can you imagine their prayer life? And they said, dear Jesus, it wasn't a, a, just a way to start a prayer. They're like, can y'all believe this? Jesus can hear us. Let's, let's. We, gotta, we gotta talk to God. Do you know anybody? Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like, Let's, he's interceding for us in heaven. He told us to pray for the Father, but we, we have this relationship with Jesus. Let's, he's, he ascended into heaven, so we know he's alive. He can hear us, right? Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk to him, okay? Right? Jesus, kind of struggling today. I don't know what my kids are gonna eat. You know, you, we saw you break bread. We saw you multiply food. We know you can handle anything. Uh, we, we believe that you're at the right hand of God, and so can you just provide for us? Can 
Jesus, where we're going at work, our boss is not understanding us, and some of us are getting kind of some persecution. We're starting to lose our jobs. We're starting to get afraid that maybe they're going to start treating us like they treated you. But we saw you love your enemies, and we saw you lay down your life on behalf of people who hated you. God, will you, will you help us? Jesus, will you help us? Right? And they knew he hears me. The same Jesus who gave me my sight is here right now. Like what I'm asking for is not hard for him. And they believed he could hear him and then he would do something about it. So yeah, they devoted themselves to prayers because it was the way to connect with Jesus who they already loved, adored, and worshiped. It was an opportunity, not an obligation. They got to go and talk to Jesus, who just died for them, who they walked with for 40 days, who ascended into heaven. This was a joy. Y'all see this? It said, and, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were in awe. There was a sense of worship. They couldn't believe what was happening. There was this excitement. There was this energy. They were overwhelmed by it. They weren't holding on to the moment. They were selling stuff, giving stuff, sharing things, cooking for each other, inviting each other into their lives. They were going all the way to the temple courts where the scroll was because they didn't have, couldn't scroll on their phone. They had to go to the scroll and go and open it up in the temple, right? Because they didn't have a scroll. Like in their, they had to go and look into it. Like they were willing to work to get the word of God into their life and to know what was going on and found the way. And man, they were just, they were known by their generosity. So day after day, attending the temple, it wasn't even just like a weekly thing. Together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Y'all, this, this isn't like, oh man, what happened? We got to master that. Everybody, all right, guys, we're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and we're going to devote ourselves to fellowship and we're going to break bread. No, yes, we should do those things. We should. And to the extent that we're not doing them, we should work at it. But I want you to know why they did that. It wasn't because the pastor guy told them to. It's because they believed what was true and they responded in a natural way. They just did what you do when you know these things to be true. That kind of revelation changes your life. I guarantee you they didn't show up those meetings kind of church shopping. Let's, let's see if the music is good enough. Let's see if the sermon is engaging. Maybe they, uh, these, this church doesn't have cushy seats. I don't know about this, right? I'm not saying those things aren't useful and important and that to some degree those things aren't things you, you and your family should consider. I'm not trying to, to oversimplify this, but I, I do want to say this. Those weren't the driving forces of why they came to church to get for an hour and a half. They didn't just go to church, y'all. They belonged. They were the church. Christ came in them. And Jesus lived through them. And they were just being themselves with Christ in them. And look what happened. Isn't it beautiful? And if it, we don't have time to get into it, but they, they go and, you know, Peter and John end up healing a guy and everybody freaks out and they start wondering, you know, how did they do this? And is this some kind of magic or whatever? And Peter and John attest to, to Jesus and his power that he's still, in the name of Jesus, is still, people are still being healed in the name of Jesus. Even though you can't see him, it's like he's still here. I mean... All these people are starting to actually look and act and smell and talk and act like him because Christ is in them. It's a really cool thing, but he's healing people, right? And so they're trying to figure out what all of that means. And the, the believers, of course, are praying and asking God to move. And he does, and he continues. There's so much more good stuff. Read the beginning of Acts. And so much so that the church was growing so fast they had to add leaders. It was starting to overwhelm people. They had to actually get organized. It wasn't that there was organization that led to growth. It was it was incredible power at work in them and that forced some organization in order to mobilize everybody. Are you with me? And that's the way God is growing his church. And that's what we're praying is happening here. A healthy church is the result of normal people responding to God in real faith. That's what it is. The church, a healthy church is the result of normal people just responding to God in faith. I said it before, I got this from, I think Andy Stanley said it this way first, but he said, what you believe determines how you behave. I really love that statement. What you believe determines how you behave. I don't know if you can do it the other way around. You might be really disciplined and can make that work, but the, the thing is that what you believe determines how you behave. You know what they believed? They believed that Jesus was who he said he was. 
In Matthew 5, Jesus said this. Just let this kind of wash over you. Don't flip there. Don't feel like you have to find it. Just, just listen. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is Matthew 5. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you must be perfect as your, holy, your heavenly Father is perfect. See this whole kingdom culture that's settling into the church created this whole culture? Matthew 6, he says... If you believe all this is true, this is obvious, right? He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. So see this whole kingdom change that's happening? He says later, he says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life and what you'll eat or what you will drink. Not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can hold or can add a single hour to the span of his life? Why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That is a different way of thinking, a different way of living a different way of operating, a different way of behaving. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that your future is what God says it will be, then you can operate like that. If you're not sure, you will not do those things. You will not love your enemy. You're not going to give your stuff. You're not going to, I mean, you're going to worry about the moments now, how I appear, and everything's got to work out just for this moment. He's like, stuff's going to fall apart here. Don't live for this world. Lay up treasure in heaven. There's so much more. Don't you know? You're so worried if you're going to have enough to eat. You're going to do all these things. You're going to have clothing. Don't you know our God is watching? He's going to take care of you. And if he lets you starve, you'll be able to stand before the throne of God and say, I starved for the gospel. And Jesus is going to be probably not mad at you about that. Right? Like, what kind of father do we think we have? You don't have to outsmart him. Just obey him. And, and look what happens. You know, I think we have sort of this unrealistic expectation that this could never happen, but I believe it can, and it's already happening here. I'm going to dare to even use names as I say this because I want you to see where God's at work in our church, and I know I'm going to leave out some stuff that's happening, and please don't be offended, but right now, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in our church. Michael Roberts is representing our church right now as a missionary to the refugees in Clarkston, after discovering the gospel and being raised up in this church. Austin Sanford is making disciples up at Snowbird, working in camp ministry, training for ministry. Mike Parham is leading the Gilmer Men's Breakfast, where a whole bunch of men were there and challenged to reach out to other men, uh, sharing the gospel. Uh, earlier, a few months ago, 1,400 shoeboxes were filled with shoes, and the gospel was sent out all over the world, led by Bernadette and Judy Joey Sullivan is leading FCA and serving as chaplain to students and mobilizing pastors, including me, where I got to uh, a little over a week ago, got to share the gospel with both the girls and guys varsity soccer teams, which was amazing. And Paul Simpson, and I, I think about him driving Ray to get his cancer treatment, just that was such a beautiful thing to me, and others did the same. 
And so some individuals helped buy a car for a faithful family in our church just a couple weeks ago. It's so beautiful. Uh, just earlier this week, Jesse and Amber Stark spent four hours with me uh, breaking down what we need to do in our student ministry and took an unbelievable amount of work off of me and have been following through all weekend. It's just a beautiful thing. Our student leadership team comes in here every Sunday. They meet two hours to figure out how to give to their students. And the last three weeks, uh, we've had three teenagers actually preach on Wednesday night, and they are bringing it, and it's awesome. Uh, our, it's just beautiful. Uh, J- Laura and Jerry Wilkinson go month after month to lead worship at Cameron Hall. Uh, it wasn't too long ago, Justin uh, Howard welded a church member's car door and, and fixed their car in like a moment's notice. Ruthie Moskovitz is leading uh, the Awake America prayer meeting that is mobilizing our community to pray for a revival in America and in our community. Charlene's been leading children's ministry for years in a mobile church. Y'all don't realize what a challenge that is. Thank you for that. I mean, it's incredible how she's been doing that. Uh, just this week, met with Henry and Christy, and God's calling them out to do a, an awesome work, reaching out to their street. And I believe God's going to start a beautiful group of people who are coming to know Jesus. It's Steve, who I recently saw this last week, never leaves the house without that anointing oil in his pocket, ready to pray on behalf of the people that have been entrusted to him. And I watch him do it on a daily basis. It's Martha, who's not here today, but who stays up and stays here late, cleaning up after us, vacuuming patiently, waiting for Steve so that he can have all the conversations he needs to have. It's our prayer team that's in here and praying and asking God to move in power in our church. And that little box back there, every single one gets prayed for all week long. And they take that incredibly seriously. That is no joke. Having people who take prayer seriously in our church. Keith and Judy let us come crash in their house every Sunday night in their beautiful home service dinner and create an environment where we can pursue the Lord together. And we got small group leaders like Jim and Bernadette, Charlene and John, Jerry and Laura Wilkinson, Joe and Sabrina Sullivan, Henry and Chrissy Pasteur, Scott and Suzanne. It's amazing. They're all doing this throughout the week. Uh, saw Joanna and our small group giving rise to a small group member. The Hicks family's jumped back into the student ministry and is serving and has been a crazy amazing blessing for us. Uh, David and Emily, Malcolm and Marlene, uh, Becca Wade starting to lead our youth uh, worship team, which is really cool along with the help of some students, but that meant a lot to me. Uh, I always, I, when I was writing some of this stuff down, I thought about Leah, uh, Joel's wife, who uh, allows him to leave the house early and then gets all the kids to worship on her own. And so many of you that are doing similar things like that so that he can lead worship for us. Jim Lee, who's standing up for children impacted by broken families through CASA, being with them in the courtroom. With Carrie Henderson, Henderson was advocating this week for the restoration of parent-child relationships through Gilmer Kids College. Uh, you know, Josh back here, Josh Quigley and his wife Katrina, they're uh, using... Uh, Abby's as a, an on-ramp to minister to business owners in our community. And not only that, but uh, using that to reach out to people and, and fund ministry, do things that are just incredible. Like there's so much and y'all, I could keep going and I'm just gonna force myself to stop. I'm sorry if I missed a thing, but I want you to get this. God is here in our church. His Holy Spirit is moving and in power and in a million ways that we can't actually quantify in your relationships and conversations and in your interactions. The email I get from John that encourages me as we spur one another on to love and good deeds. There's a million different things how God is working and using so many people in our church and out in our community. And what I'm trying to say is that if you believe Now, the experience of the early church is out of our reach. If you believe that the church is failing, if you believe that Jesus is distracted and uninterested in what's happening here, if you doubt that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's here right now, Jesus, right now, it's going to change how you operate. And you're going to miss what's happening now and you're going to miss what's happening in the future. If you actually dare to believe what you say you believe, it will change how you behave and we'll start seeing that the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the building of Christ, the family of God is way more than a metaphor. It's reality. And God is moving to establish an incredible church right here, but his church globally. You see what happens when a bunch of people actually behave like they believe what they say they believe. It's actually what salvation is, by the way. It's actually what salvation is. When you came to Christ, you believed what he said was true. And you believed that, you know, God actually grants you faith to believe. And the repentance that follows the realization that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. And out of that naturally came obedience in your life where you chose to follow him out of this overwhelming sense of gratitude to God. He chose not to kill us, but to save us. 
And that's salvation. It's the same way we operate as a church. The true church is a gathering of true believers. Belief changes behavior. And the rest is history. We mark time, B.C. and A.D., by this explosion that happened. It wasn't a mastery of church strategy. It was the mastery of the Holy Spirit at work on people who yielded to his mastery, right? And he began to explode and work in this beautiful way. The very same power that caused all of this is in this room right now, right now. The same Jesus they watched ascend into heaven is right here now, hearing every word, knowing every thought, listening to every prayer that you pray. It is as real as the chairs you're sitting in. And prayer might feel like a distant thing, but imagine if you were one of those who watched him ascend into heaven and you were convinced that this stuff is true. How would that impact your prayer life? How would it impact your pursuit of the word of God this week? How would that impact your fellowship? Y'all, we allow the enemy to corrode our faith. Jesus was always saying, oh, your lack of faith. And the apostles prayed like we're gonna pray right now. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. The apostles said that to Jesus. They realized that it's possible to believe, but it was also possible to deal with unbelief in your life. So I'm not up here trying to say, if you're not doing all these things, you're not a Christian. That's all I'm saying, but I can, I can say this, that if you believe this, it's true. It changes how you behave. What are we gonna do? Guys, if you wanna come up, we're just gonna respond. And what I want to do right now, if you would stand your feet, we're just going to allow God to speak to us. If you're here right now and that's your prayer, and you just want to say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. I don't think I need to help you pray. You just go for it. You just start praying right now. Whatever you need to do, you can come pray at the altar. You can pray back there. Whatever you need to do, you just say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. And just begin to ask him to move in your life and to restore that and work in your life in ways. Help you believe things that you say you believe you didn't even know you weren't believing and help you walk in that kind of joy. But I believe that there's some of you that are here today that have never actually begun a relationship with Jesus. That you're a big fan of the church. You like being a part of it. It's been a cool thing for you and it means something to you. But you realize that there's no trajectory toward God in your life. And if you're honest with yourself that you've kind of been looking at it at a distance, evaluating it, but you don't really believe it. And right now in this moment, you've seen it in a different way than you've ever seen it before. And as we heard the word of God, you're starting to understand that this Jesus is not a, it's just an idea. He was an actual person. People saw him. He was alive. He did raise from the dead. And he knows right now. And you're starting to understand, just like the early churches, that your sin is the reason he went to the cross. And you, each of us, just like these Peter was preaching to, are responsible for the death of the Messiah. He went to pay the penalty of our sin. He went and died for us. And just the way that Peter said it, repent, believe, be baptized, come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. If you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.